So many owners open their shops with the dream of doing auto repair the right way, being an asset to their community, having free time with their families, and having the ability to create a financial legacy. In reality, so many find themselves working long days, are struggling to find and keep good staff, and can barely pay the bills. Since 2016, the fastest growing automotive repair coaching company, ShopFix Academy's sole purpose is to stop the average small business from destroying the average family. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com. We drove up and down every neighborhood. We would just sit because we wanted to see, not just get the information from the marketing company, but we wanted to see what the cars looked like. If they were parked in the street, if they were parked in the driveway, if they were parked in in the garages. Because that gave us an idea of what kind of care people in those neighborhoods put to their vehicles. This is Success Leaves Clues, an automotive industry podcast, and I'm your host, Thomas Hayes. Over my years in the industry, I've heard many stories of how owners started their shops. Of those, there are a few that come to mind of owners that seem to have almost overnight success with their new shops. While these stories can be inspirational, I think that commonly those that observe the overnight success may miss the power of the journey that was traveled to actually get there. So today, we're gonna pull back the curtain on one of those stories. Our guest is Ashley Civitello of Simply True Auto Group, which launched Simply Euro Automotive in Castle Pines, Colorado. Ashley opened the store during the pandemic, but had cars from day one and achieved profitability within 90 days. By all counts, an overnight success. In this powerful interview, Ashley will take us on the journey she went on and reveal the clues that allowed her to have such success. And here's a hint. It was not an overnight journey. This is a great interview, so stick around. Ashley, welcome to the show. An effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability, which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top-performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high-converting Google ads, traffic-driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888-953-2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. Hi, Thomas. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm super glad you're here. Uh, So I know you really well. Uh, I've known you for years. I'm really excited about this interview. But for those that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am Ashley Civitello. I am currently the managing partner for Simply True Auto Group. I am originally from Houston, but I'm currently living in Denver with my husband, Theo, and we have a little puppy, rescue puppy named Birdie. Birdie. I love it. Uh, How did you get started in the industry? So I've actually grown up in the automotive industry with my dad. He originally started with car sales. He had a small lot and worked his way up. He actually became one of the first people to sell cars on eBay. 
in the late 90s. But through that network, he decided to open up an auto garage. And that was kind of around 2007. With the economy really bad, I was still in school. But around 2009, he bribed me to come work for him. So that's how I got started. Yeah. So what did that look like? What was it like to grow up in your family business and have that be your intro to auto repair? Growing up in a family business, I think just really shapes the way you see the working world. So I always really got to see my dad as this independent person um, and making money for himself, which was neat. Um, I am not scared of going fast because I've always been around very fast cars. I did a stint in working for corporate restaurants while I learned a lot working in corporate restaurant, I saw that they really treated people like a number. So getting to see our family business not only support our family, but other families has just been really rewarding. Um, I remember being like three years old and having someone from when I was three years old still being working for our family by the time I was graduating from college and coming to work for the business. Wow. So just seeing our business being able to not just support our family, but support other families has always just been really neat. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine working any other way now. Yeah. So how, how long did you work for your family business? From 2009 until 2019. So about 10 years. And then, of course, I always worked part-time when I was in, in high school, but that was at the car dealership. That's back before computer stuff. I used to have to highlight all the bank statements and staple everything together and do calculator punches. Yeah. What roles did you play uh, just over the span of working there? I really came in. So when my dad first asked me to come into the automotive repair shop, I was fresh out of college and I was very nervous. I was like, you know, I don't really know anything about cars besides call you if something's wrong with the car. Like you just put gas in it and that's all I knew. So I didn't know what value I would bring, but I really came in. He really gave me open reign. I kind of treated it like a college project at first. Um, he knew that finances were not where he wanted them to be and he wanted some help with operations. So kind of an office management type role, I would say it would be my first function and just really looking at things from behind the scenes and trying to create some processes to make things a little bit more organized. Then from there, I ended up advising for quite a while, I think simply because no one worked there at some point in time. And they were like, hey, you sell service now. And so I did that. And eventually our general manager left. And I ended up stepping into that general manager role for probably the last like four to five years of working there. Wow. So I know at one point you actually opened up your own store. And uh, you opened that in in Colorado. Um, Can we talk about that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You so now, yeah. So when did you decide that you you wanted to open the store? You've been working for your dad. Like, when did you have that realization of wow, I really want to open my own store? So I had been running my dad's garage for several years at that time. I had become I had also become heavily involved in a coaching mentorship program. I had invested a lot of myself into that program. 
uh, even missing my own honeymoon for one of the events. So yeah, I had put a lot of, of time just working and learning. And I got to a point where I felt like I really needed to execute on my own. Hmm. Um, Why was that the right time to do it then when you started it? Mm. I just, you know, I always knew that I wanted to build an organization and have multiple locations. I felt that I had to take a jump. Well, that was actually very heavily encouraged by my husband. I was very nervous, but it was that time of I had absorbed so much knowledge that it was just time to take the plunge, I guess you could say. Yeah. Did you feel, when you made that decision, did you feel ready or was it something the people around you were circling around you saying you can do this? It was definitely a big part of being in the coaching group that I, I'm actively a part of. They were saying, you can do this, you can do this. They were building me up, letting me know that I could do it. And I had actually started coaching myself, so I was now helping other people run their businesses. So it was just kind of the push that, yes, you you are ready to do this. And I was very nervous, but I was open to the idea uh, to prove myself. So That's fantastic. Now, you were in Texas. That's, that's where you lived for, you know since whenever since birth yes born and raised texas girl yeah but you're in colorado so you not only opened your own shop you opened it in a totally different state like tell us tell us about that through this coaching network i was in i developed a relationship with a female mentor who was really helping me look at locations in houston so i knew that i wanted to go do another location like i mentioned i always wanted to have multiple locations and i was looking at quite a few properties in the houston market the opportunities kept not working out for one reason or another this happened to be during a time where houston had a lot of historic flooding so it was just i just kept running up against a uh, brick wall. One day we were together and she said to me, would you consider looking outside of Houston and loving to travel? Uh, those that know me and my husband know that we love to travel a lot. It's always been a personal desire for us to kind of um, eventually move someplace else. So I let her know that I was really open to the idea. So her and I just really started working on it to narrow things down. We started with the best cities in the country for automotive repair. So once we kind of came up with that list, we backed that into where would I want to live out of those cities. And we got down to Charlotte and Denver, things that were important to me and my husband. We needed an international airport and needed to have good accessibility to Houston to be able to go back home and then also being good for automotive repair. So that's where we landed. And then as fate has it, an amazing property in Denver came available. So all it was just like a part of a timing thing because then we went and saw it and we just immediately fell in love with that property and began working the deal, which did end up closing in May of 2020. Wow. So right 
in the middle of COVID. Yeah, yeah that, that part was not so fun. Because um, we started the deal in like October of 19, started negotiating. And um, it did not close until May of 2020 because of COVID delays. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's dive in. Like what happened next? Like what was the, walk us through the process. So there was a lot to this process, as I kind of mentioned, you know, first was just touring this, this property. And that was at the end of 19. And I believe we, this property to give a little bit of background information was occupied by discount tire and then was abandoned for five years and is owned by a Canadian real estate investment trust. So there's a lot of layers of complication just yeah. within that. Um, but to, and it's a new market. So exploring the new market, we actually drove 400 miles in two days. So we were specifically looking at retailers like Whole Foods, um, automotive, uh, automotive franchiser, Christian Brothers. So we drove to every parking lot and neighboring school parking lots and just looked at what was out there. We also partnered with our marketing company to get the vehicle demographics, the 510 mile radius, and we drove up and down every neighborhood. We would just sit because we wanted to see, not just get the information from the marketing company, but we wanted to see what the cars looked like. If they were parked in the street, if they were parked in the driveway, if they were parked in, in the garages, because that gave us an idea of what kind of care people in those neighborhoods put into their vehicles. So that was its own project in itself. Once we decided, yes, this looks good, then we had to move on to lease negotiation with a huge company like this that, you know, their tenant before us was Discount Tire. This lease was a 55-page lease and was just a huge undertaking. So I was really glad that through my network of this coaching relationship that I have a, I had a very highly qualified business broker working with me to do that deal. The deal was supposed to close in March of 2020. And then obviously, as we know, once COVID really hit in March of 2020, like the whole deal just stopped. So that was really scary. And I was still living in Houston at that time. And I had been going back and forth between Houston and Denver to just keep, you know, meeting with people and reviewing the property, meeting with contractors, those types of things. Um, and then it just went radio silence. So that was kind of a Deciding to push through on doing this deal was a big moment. I already had people tentatively hired because we were supposed to open in May. And the property actually didn't end up opening until August of 2020. So it was about uh, May, June, July, like three, four month delay. And I was putting my entire life savings, me and my husband's entire life savings into this. So it was a pretty scary time during that time. Um I did pay for a good lawyer as well to really review everything that we were doing. But if I had to do it over again, I would have spent more money on inspecting the building itself because the building's about 25 years old now and it has a lot more problems than I knew. So all I did was really have a contractor review it. So I wish I would have ponied up a little bit more money, but I was scared at that time. I was yeah. holding it all in. And we did do a big remodel of that property. So it was probably 
about $175,000 remodel just because I'd been vacant for so long and they had not updated it. So it still looked like 1999 automotive property. So we had to bring it to this generation. Um, and cool. doing that through COVID was, was its own process. My husband, being a professional photographer and his dad were an architect, actually designed it. And I was the red liner of the budget. <laughs> Just being like, we can't spend this much money. But it wound up looking really good. So, Yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful store. Thanks. So uh, what was it like? So what, uh, when, did you, when did you officially open? Make sure I have it correct. So we opened in August of 2020. August 2020. So what was it like trying to staff up the store in the middle of the pandemic? Yeah, that was really difficult. I mean, just getting people to even sign up to work in an empty building for a crazy woman from Texas that (laughs) they didn't know, that was a challenge in itself. So, hey, and in this part of, this is a suburb of Denver where this shop is. It's It wasn't very well known. It was kind of a sleepy, sleepy community that's just getting a little bit more of an injection right now. So I'm like, hey, come work in this neighborhood. No one even lived next to it. So it was big, big, big vision selling of what we were going to build and what we were going to do. And, um, I even ended up going to dinner. So the first technician I hired, uh, ended up going to dinner with his wife and him just to really build that relationship. So, uh, they were afraid they had a little baby. Um, so it it took a lot of just communication and maintaining that relationship and, um, a lot of brave face on my part that we were going to make it, even though I, of course, had some fear in the back, but I just kept pushing through. So, so I, I think that a lot of people, a lot of shop owners, especially as they're trying to grow their shop or they just opened or they're trying to take it to the next level or a second location, like that selling the vision is a struggle. What? Mm you know, what you obviously are good at it. What are some tips that you can give? Like, what does it look like to sell the vision in an effective way and help that employee see what you see? That's a great question. It's an interesting question to just reflect on. I think a lot of it for me did come from the confidence of knowing the numbers and really having that confidence of what can work. So since I'm super strong in financials and demographics and projectings, I had that level of confidence, but when I'm casting the vision, that confidence comes through in, but it's angled more in that they're going to help build it. I really focus on that opportunity is for them that I have found this opportunity but they're going to be a part of what's going to really make it great. So my vision is not about what I'm going to do. It's really about what I found as an opportunity and it's continuing to cast it to them on how it's going to be that they're a part of it. And they have this opportunity just as much as I have the opportunity to make something really special. That's, that's incredible. 
Uh, I love that angle of making it, you know, you found this opportunity and it's, and they're going to help make it great. I think that's a beautiful way to partner with them and merge vision together. Mm. And it's great. Thank you. So you're, you know, you're, you're trying to sell the vision, you're hiring employees. What were some other lessons that you learned in the process of opening marketing just getting that store set up to where, you know, the doors open and, and it's not crickets because it wasn't. Yeah. Well, yeah. Safe. Yeah. So I, I followed a grand opening process uh, provided to me by the coaching group that I'm a part of. A lot of that, emph- it's a, it's an emphasis on pre-marketing three months before you open. So that was something again, that I had the knowledge on that I had heard about that I knew just from being in this group that it did work because I had testimonials of other success stories from these industry leaders, but pulling the trigger to spend $20,000 on marketing before your location open is just really scary. Yeah. But I just doubled down on it. I followed the path. And so I did, I executed on that three months. It's, it's called the like 90 day ramp up plan. And I executed on it and it paid off. So paid off big. I think we had 70 cars our first week open. Mm. So reflecting back on that while it was scary, it's one of those things where you don't really make a lot of money doing it. You really just get cars, but it's the momentum. It's the momentum that you're able to hire a second advisor. You're able to hire two, three more technicians and you're gaining your market share quickly. So it's a, it's expensive up front, but we were already breaking even on this property af- on, after 90 days and profitable because of how quickly we were able to get the cars. So it was it was more just really neat to see a theory, a marketing theory play out. Mm-hmm. And it did. One of the mistakes I did make is that I had an option to hire two advisors. So one was very confident in the interview and was saying that he needed to make over six figures because of what he brings to the table. And then I had another advisor who was a lot more middle of the road and was happy with a lot lower wage, really nice guy, great social skills. But I found out very quickly at about the three-month mark because I I went with the middle of the road advisor that that personality type was not going to be the personality to build a new store in a new market. So looking back at that, I wish I would have spent the extra money to go with the stronger advisor from the beginning because funny enough, I did end up hiring him after I left left the first guy go three months. And he was a little upset. Why didn't you hire me in the first place? But once I did bring him on the team, he immediately almost doubled the sales of the business the month, the first month that he started. So I wish that I would have just invested in someone a little bit more senior to start off. Did you know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their client sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. 
That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. That's why so many top shops trust Leads Near Me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google Certified Partners, they know how to make a top-ranking website from an insider's perspective. Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads Near Me. Effortlessly increase car count. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would have done differently looking back? Hmm. I would have, like I said, got the property better inspected. That's probably one of the more expensive things that's biting me in the butt. I would have hired the stronger advisor from the beginning. I was just nervous. I was intimidated. But that's really it. I had a lot of mentorship around me that helped me not make mistakes that I could have done. So I wanted to spend more money on the remodel. And and my mentor said, no, stop, stop at this point. You can go back and do that later. And I'm glad that I listened to them. Same, I wanted to buy a bunch of loaner cars to start. And they told me, no, don't buy loaner cars to start. Prove that you can open the store. And that ended up being good advice. So through that process, I was really still leaning on people before I made decisions. So thankfully, there's not too many that I wish I would have done differently. One thing that stands out to me from our conversation and just from knowing you is how well you are, well, how do I phrase that? How coachable you are. You are extremely coachable. How is that, is that a skill you developed? Like what what are some clues you can leave on how to be someone who is coachable? Because clearly that that's been a, a key to your success is that ability to take the the mentorship and the coaching and apply it. But I think some people get stuck on, on even that ability to absorb. What would you say to that? For me, I, I've actually joked that I, I would maybe write a book one day on how to copy what other successful people have done and make it your own. I sometimes I think maybe even comes from my own lack of confidence, but I lean into what other people have done that works. And I look for the proof that it works. And if it's worked, I'm just really open to the opportunity that it could probably also work for me. So I really just invite myself not to always be having to think that I have to reinvent the wheel. So I look for the evidence that it worked, that it's not an opinion. So these people who are coaching or mentoring me, they have proof that these concepts work. And I don't, I don't know why, but that's enough for me. <laughs> and, and I see a lot of people that it's not enough for them. And it's an interesting question. I'm, I'm not totally sure what makes me more open to it than others, but I definitely am yeah. really open to the feedback of people who have proven it. Yeah. It's a trust. It sounds like, mm-hmm. and, and realizing, I, I think that when, when I look at someone that isn't coachable, a lot of times it's this whole, Oh, that won't work for me. My situation's so unique. And it sounds like that you're willing to say, you know, my situation isn't that unique. 
and I can apply these keys and they can be successful for me too. Mm-hmm. And with the confidence, I think there's a lot of confidence in understanding financials. I'm really glad that I spent a lot of time understanding financials that makes things less scary. And that if a mentor of mine is providing an idea for me to do, I know I have the skill set to be able to monitor that success or not. And so it's a little less scary to give it a go. I think sometimes the fear comes from when people really don't understand the cause and effect of what they're doing. They don't know how to monitor it. So there's a little bit more fear around it. Whereas since I do understand financials really well, if someone gives me an idea, I can I can watch quickly. And if it didn't work, I can pivot. And there's some security in that. Hmm. That makes sense. That's powerful. What would be any other clues that you would leave to someone listening that is wanting to open a second location, a new location, uh, start from scratch, anything else that you would, you would want to leave for them? Hmm. I don't really know about a clue or a secret. There was just really a lot of hard working learning the automotive industry. So I would say you need to know your financials forwards and backwards. Um, you need to have good mentors in your life. So just, I couldn't have done any of this without mentorship. There was part of a little bit of luck of a great opportunity, but that was through a lot of intentional relationship building that that opportunity came into my life. So maintaining relationships and you can't just take from relationships. I see that a lot where people want to learn and they just keep trying to take, but that's not how it works. You have to put real effort in to get a true mentor. So that's a clue that I think I would leave that no one's just going to tr- teach you. You're going to have to put a lot of effort into developing that relationship for someone to open up to you. And uh, just a lot of de- determination to make it happen. So it takes just that level of that you're going to try things that aren't going to work, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to move forward. How do you practically build that relationship with a mentor? You said it takes hard work. What does that look like? People are really vying for a mentor's time, especially if they're very successful. So I find it works a little bit in two ways. And one way it's indirect that if you put effort into helping mentor others, even outside of this relationship that you're looking for. So you're giving resources to people where you can, that in a way ends up just kind of coming back to you because somebody like this mentor is, is they're, they're sharp, right? They're observing, they see the level of industry that you're, that you're the level. Sorry, let me go back there. Mentors are paying attention to your actions. So if you are putting out what you have to give to others, that doesn't go unnoticed. So I remember, you know, just helping whoever I could help. And that got the attention of a mentor because they see you as somebody who's willing to give. And then once I actually did get more of the mentor relationship, 
really working to make sure that I was very considerate of their time and being mindful of that it's a two-way relationship. So I was always actively being flexible to meet with them, asking what could work for them, putting in the work to really be timely and considerate of what all they have going on. Mindfulness, just mindfulness of, of what all they're doing and making sure that when you're engaging with them, you're not just trying to extract, getting to know them on a little bit more of a personal level. And that, that takes, that just takes work. It takes effort, patience, because they're going to be very busy. So, so where are things at now? What, what kind of numbers is that store doing? So that store, the first trailing 12, it did 1.8 million. And now at the 18 month mark for 2022, we're tracking 3.2 million. That's awesome. How many bays? So we're up to seven lifts now. We opened with five lifts. I, I added seven. I added lifts six and seven over the course of being open. And I have two more waiting to be installed. So it will have nine. Congratulations. You are crushing <laughs> it. So what are you up to these days? Like, what does life look like for you currently? So business-wise, I joined a partnership after all of this. And I'm heading up the HR portion of that company. So we, um, I don't know how I got in charge of HR, but I am. We look to add about two to three locations a year. And this is across Georgia, Texas, and Colorado. So with that growth rate, I'm really looking forward to supporting the leaders in our company on this mission that we have to kind of just be the best independent automotive company in the industry. And then... Personally, I'm actually in a family planning stage right now, so that's going to be its own journey in itself. So I'm I'm leaving myself a little bit of space there to figure that out. So it sounds like you're in a really great season right now. It is a really fun season right now. Last question. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be? This was a funny question. But if I was a car, I think I'd actually want to be a, a car of the future. And this car is more like a pod that has a couch in it, really speedy Wi-Fi, and like an espresso machine. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> I totally uh, did that Yes, car. this is my dream car. So I'd want to be my dream car. Well, Ashley, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I loved your story and and hearing more details about it and, and getting to spend some time with you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Thomas. I really enjoyed it. That was my interview with Ashley Civitello. I want this show to serve and impact as many people in our industry as possible. To help me in that mission, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the show, and tell others about us. If you would like to contact me, you can email me at thomas at slcautopodcast.com or call 615-656-8804. Thanks. Have a great week. No two shops are the same. That's why cookie cutter advice and coaching does not work. 
In order for your shop to get to the next level, you must have an action plan designed around your shop's unique needs. You'll also need accountability and encouragement along the way. Let ShopFix Academy help you create your best shop. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com.